Hello, and welcome to Inquiries. You may be asking yourself, what is this podcast about? Well, Inquiries are questions. We're asking questions about how facets of libraries and queer community intersect, but make it gay. We are your historic guides. We can start with introductions. My name is Dakri, and I am a librarian here at Sapwell, and I use she, her pronouns. And hi, my name is Michael. I am also a librarian here at Sapple at the Cody branch, and I use he, him pronouns. Hi, my name is Lisa, and I work at Great Northwest as a librarian, and I use she, her, Aya. Hi, I'm Melissa. I work at UTSA in Special Collections as the assistant archivist. I am also a historian uh, that I, I specialize in local LGBTQ history, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Hello, I'm Anel Flores, and I am an author and artist here in San Antonio, Texas, uh, from the RGV, and uh, believe in LGBTQIA history and queer history and, uh, and all of our ancestors, so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you back, Melissa. You too, Anel. I think between the two of you, it's going to be a very explosive conversation. Um, so I'm I'm excited to get started. And I, Melissa, just jump off. Okay. <laughs> wherever you want to, wherever your starting point is. Well, recently, within the last year, I found out some new aspects of San Antonio's queer history, and. I shared them for the first time last fall with a students and a class at SAC, San Antonio College. And what I discovered is San Antonio had an incredibly rich countercultural history that grew out of San Antonio College and the surrounding area. And for those of you who might be familiar with uh, San Antonio and our current uh, gay place in town, Main Street, which is adjacent to SAC, um, really became the heartbeat of the local LGBTQ community. And there were a lot of reasons for that. So today, I'd like to share that history, which is very exciting um, led to this uh, entrenchment, if you will, or this laying down of roots for uh, gays, lesbians, trans uh, individuals in San Antonio. And being around the college, that was a very important anchor. As it was across the U.S., colleges were very often the the flashpoint for counterculture. Students were rebelling against um, mainstream culture. They were becoming activists or dropping out. And college campuses were a safe space in which they could really question uh, the established order. And it's exciting to know that we had that going on here in San Antonio, which was not a huge city at the time. And oftentimes when we think of counterculture, we think of big cities like San Francisco or L.A. or New York. And, and that's really what you hear about. Well, we had our own counterculture uh, movement and haven going on right here very close to downtown San Antonio, and that was happening on Sachs College. 
I'd be happy as I'm talking along if you have questions about this. Um, be happy to answer them. Yeah, I'm curious what decades we're talking about. We're talking about um, the 60s and 70s, which is really uh, the end of the 60s into the early 70s is when counter the countercultural movement is really taking off. But in the decade before that, in the 1950s, we have to discuss what was going on in the 50s from which the countercultural movement erupted. What were folks rebelling a, a, against? What were college students saying, we don't want this anymore? And that was this sort of idyllic, domestic model that had emerged uh, after World War II in the 1950s of these nuclear families that were very, if you look at advertising, very sanitized. It's the mother as homemaker. It's the father as breadwinner. It's the one or two kids very much um, sort of leave it to beaver ideal. When you look at pictures of Sachs students in the 1950s, which we have in our photograph collection, you can you can see that conveyed in the images. The students are really clean cut. Girls have skirts and bobby socks and you know, just all perfectly lined up in the classrooms. And when I saw those images and I was getting ready to, to write about this chapter, in local history, I thought, oh, kids, strap in because things are about to change. And they did. They changed very quickly. Um, we uh, love the heads up that you gave us and the archives uh, photos that you sent us about the ever-changing, uh, how you said, gayborhood and how that formed. And I just... I'm a huge uh, history buff, and I was just so interested in in that shift from the 50s and 60s to what we now have as our very own Pride Fest um, every year. So can you tell us a little bit more about that shift in the uh, neighborhood? Absolutely. There are several factors that come into play, and during the 50s and, and more so into the 60s, you see uh, something that's called white flight out of downtowns across the country. Folks are pushing out, they're moving to the suburbs, and that's really important when it comes to the establishment of, of what we refer to affectionately gayborhoods or gay spaces within cities. When folks are moving out to the suburbs, they're leaving behind them spaces that can then be adopted by oftentimes marginalized populations that couldn't necessarily afford to move into those spaces before or didn't feel comfortable. This is a recurrent theme that's happening across the country, and San Antonio is very much a part of that pattern. When you look at the city in the 60s and 70s, you can see that population is moving out and up the main arteries coming out of downtown. So you have San Pedro Avenue, which goes right by SAC, uh, Fredericksburg, another avenue, North Main Street. Those are uh, avenues where folks can move out 
to the suburbs, move out to areas like around North Star. If you drive around there, you'll see the neighborhoods are very 60s looking, mid-century, um, modern, sometimes not so attractive, but um, that's a matter of an, a, opinion. So this outward movement creates an opportunity for folks in the queer community who had previously often come together close to downtown, in downtown spaces. There were clubs downtown, like the San Antonio Country on North St. Mary's, which was a very large gay disco that attracted um, a huge swath of not only the gay population, but just anyone who was liberated um, was welcome to come into that space. There were other clubs uh, in that same area, so they they kind of clustered together. But then as the 50s um, come around, you'll notice that up San Pedro, there are little clubs taking hold. There's the Buddha Lounge and Peter's Playpen and just... Uh, Head shops are opening up in the late 60s. There are um, liberal bookstores. You have gay-owned businesses. It's really great when you plot these out on a map, you get a, a, a visual of this movement northward and how members of the queer community are laying down roots. So that's the start, is once members of the community move into those spaces. And, and historians have found this to be true across the country. They really plant roots. It's very important for marginalized people to feel that they can claim a space and keep that space and feel this sense of belonging. And fortunately, in San Antonio, we have this this space carved out and have expanded way beyond it, most definitely. But it's nice to know that we have that history and that the area around San Antonio College, starting in the 50s and then the 60s and the 70s, became a place of choice mm -hmm. for queer men and women, for gender-fluid individuals. It became a safe place where not only could they put down roots, have homes, build families, but they could find spaces where they could be out and open. Perhaps the, the best place that demonstrates this is San Pedro Park. For years, Pride was held at San Pedro Park. And San Pedro Park, which is one of the oldest in the country, has an, a longer and perhaps more interesting history than a lot of public spaces. If we go back to the turn of the 20th century, so we're talking early 1900s, there was a venue in San Pedro Park called um, Electric Park. And the reason it was called Electric Park it's because at night it was electrified. This was a big deal at the turn of the century. When you look at photographs, images of it, postcards, you can see this amazing lit up family venue. It's would have been on the south end of the park, right where Via has all their, their hub. That's where Electric Park was. 
one of the things I found so interesting about the history of Electric Park is that it hosted female impersonators on a regular basis. And I, I think I've touched on this um, in my last podcast, that nationally known female mimics came to Electric Park. There was a very well-known impersonator named Gilbert Cerrone, I believe he was Italian, who just wooed his audiences. And we're talking about a family venue. So there, there are families flocking to what were essentially vaudeville acts. Um, there was the great Almond, who was a very extravagant female impersonator, who was very popular. Tickets to Electric Park were really affordable, so families could go. And my point with this is, not only is it just really cool queer history that that's going on and how popular it was, there was a very different attitude toward crossing gender boundaries at that time. It was seen as a legitimate form of entertainment, and therefore it was accepted, as long as some rules were in place for our female impersonators. They did an amazing job. They could completely fool audiences and Theater goers just really loved having that accessible to them and um, were just amazed at what could be accomplished through impersonation and makeup. The caveat, though, was certain prohibitions started creeping into the American psyche about, well, this, this man who has can really fool us that he's a woman, is that okay? Or is there something, you know, not quite right about that? So as we come into the early 1900s, female impersonators are having to defend their heterosexuality. We start seeing these moral prescriptions against homosexuality, um, a famous uh, performer, Julian Etienne, made sure that outside of his convincing female illusion performances, he was a hyper-masculine, got into fights. He worked very hard to convince people that he was not a homosexual, when in fact, in reality, he was. Lived with his mother, had a partner, Dogs, you know, just I know that's a stereotype, but he was able to fool some of the people. So getting back to my point is that this is happening. This this is playing out in San Pedro Park in a family theater. And San Pedro Park becomes a safe space over time for the local queer community to get out and really celebrate. That progresses through the 60s, the 70s. And when we start having Pride in San Antonio in the early 70s, it's held in San Pedro Park. And that's true for decades. We have wonderful images of 
gay men, lesbians out playing volleyball in San Pedro Park. They've got their families. The Express News covers it. So it was really, it was a big deal to be able to get out there and be yourself. The tagline for Pride in 1990 was, out is in. We have t-shirts from the event and it's, it's really super to see that and have the community embrace being out for them was an okay thing to do. That's San Pedro Park in a nutshell. And I, I, sorry, no. I love all this information you're sharing. And being like um, a lover of history and dates and facts, where could um, one find this info? Or maybe you could send us links uh, later on for um, particular books if anyone's interested in uh, to um, do a deep dive a little bit more in queer history. Um, especially when you're talking about like redlining, all of those things that happened here and that happens everywhere. Um, I think it's a, would be really cool to see, um, for people to, um, to, uh, see the images that you're discussing. Where could someone find those? I'll be happy to forward links. Um, not a lot has been written about our local queer history. That's my job. I'm working on it. I had promised a book at some point. Um, I do a lot of interactions with the media, so the, this information gets disseminated. Um, working in the archives at UTSA, our queer archives are open to anyone. Anyone who wants to come visit us is welcome to request access. Uh, we have online guides for each of our LGBTQ collections that an individual can look at and decide what do they want to see. Do they want to look at one of our fantastic feminist lesbian t-shirt collections <laughs> or look at um, photographs of drag pageants in Corpus Christi? They can request that, come in and get their hands on those archival materials and explore that history firsthand. Love yeah. it. I love it. I was looking through all the photos I was telling. And now when we started, like, am I going to see someone I know in these photos? Because, you know, um, when my dad came out, um, I think I was like four. No, sorry, fourth grade. Uh, so I was nine and nine, ten. And he would take me to uh, certain events during Fiesta that was like he would say was where everyone hangs out like this is the gay section of fiesta yeah and so do you have anything like archives on on those certain facts like where everyone hung out where everyone met up for fiesta do you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. it definitely changed over the decades um <clears throat> i have a good friend who resides in California but lived in San Antonio in 62 and 63. And one of the things she talked about and uh, sent photos to us of is a gay corner at La Vallita mm -hmm. during Fiesta. That was where the gays hung out. They had their own little space that they, like, camped out at, mm -hmm. and that's where they came together. Also, the... Um, El Tropicana Hotel yeah. was extremely mm -hmm. popular um, for gay gatherings. Um, <clears throat> the bar at the Menger Hotel, the Roosevelt, um, was also a very popular gay gathering spot. So every little groups had their their spots, and and we do have photographs of. Um, fiesta events. We have journals from our artist Gene Elder. 
mm-hmm. who um, shared a lot of that history with me. A patron can access his journals, and just through one individual collecting every bit of information they could cram into these massive journals, you can live vicariously through that person, mm-hmm. live their history. Mm-hmm. How cool. That's so cool. <laughs> I yeah, just love with, history. <laughs> it's it's amazing when you were talking too about just everything. I'm thinking about the streets and Maine. I mean, even where the Pearl is, the bar. I tell so many my both of my daughters, both of our daughters are queer and, and we have so when we have parties, we have like a New Year's party, a Pride party, we have for the queer community at our home, it's always different generations, right? So we're like from 12-year-olds, when they were 12, they would bring their little queer little friends, and now they're in their 20s, our kids. So we've grown with all these different generations at home in these parties. And sometimes at the end of the party till 2 in the morning, it'll be like an 18-year-old, a bunch of 18-year-olds, which are my daughters and their friends and 20-year-olds, and then myself and and my wife in our 40s. Then we have some 30-year-olds, and then we'll have some 60-year-olds, and then we'll just be there till 2 in the morning. And then the ones under 30 are like, where is that place? why don't we have that anymore? And they're like, (laughs) with their mouth open, you know, like, why didn't we have the essay saloon? Why didn't we have PJs? I mean, for me, I parked at the SAC parking lot. I could leave my car there and then go to school in the morning because I was at the bar across the street. Like, you know, in the 90s, yeah, in I mean, in the 90s, when I first came out, well, I was outed um, and kicked out of my house. I was like, where the hell do I go? You know, and I remember looking in the phone book and I found Textures Bookstore, which I'm sure you know oh, about yes. Textures on McCullough. Yeah. So this is like 92, a lot later than the 60s. But again, Textures was there and I and it was all of like 500 square feet. And there was a bulletin board probably the size of the one wall that was in that place. And that's where I found the Esperanza. It's where I found Out at the Movies. It's where I found the little flyer for zebras or the women's space newsletter that Martha Prentice put together or or the AIA conference. I mean, I would go there like all secretly, you know, and take the little flyers and find the people. And, you know, it was it's I grew up in from that moment, you know, and oh, I could just cry about it. But it was Martha, you know, who just said. For 30 years, I worked with her. So as a silversmith, and she just, you know, when I met her in the 90s, she was like, come to my house and polish my jewelry. I mean, I she was, Martha Prentice is like this amazing jeweler, uh, white woman. They used to call her the, the um, they used to call her the uh, Southwestern Belle of the lesbian community or the phone operator because she connected everybody. Yes. And so I would sit in her studio at like 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, just polishing, sweeping, cleaning her birdcage. I did whatever she wanted, you know, and she would introduce me to all these lesbians and all these gay men that were walking in, like delivering tomatoes or like, I have eggs or I have. And I'd be watching the community like, wow, like, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like, we're supposed to be sharing. We're supposed to be giving, you know, just... It was so great. And so when I graduated from college, I told her, I don't know where to go. And she was like, move to my neighborhood, you know? And I'm like, okay. So I bought a house. She like told me what to buy. I mean, it was so, but beyond that, I mean, the history is like talking about electric park. It just gives us opportunity to say, Hey, I want another electric park. Let's start that electric park tomorrow. You know? And that's what, for me, the work you're doing is like so important so that our young people can go like, shit, man, like, we really got to get out there and do this. Because people need a place to, like, rest 
And like Main Street for me, I tell people, oh, I was raised there. Oh, all my moms are queens. Like, yes, all my moms are the queens for sure. For life, um, I'm here because of queens, you know, because of, you know, what those, these moments, these spaces, the parking lot, the drinking. I mean, I passed out my flyers for my play at the bar. You know, like that's what you do. So thank you for just laying absolutely, that out, you know? absolutely. And thank you for sharing. It's yeah. you know when you you talk about this rich culture that we had access to, mm-hmm. I, I get asked a lot um, when I'm doing presentations and outreach is like, where is it going? It's mm-hmm. it's like eroding. It's disappearing. And many of us know about the disappearance of lesbian bars and yeah. spaces. There are just a handful left. Mm-hmm which is is shocking. Um, things have transformed the way we communicate. Um, it's not as necessary to interact in public. For young queers coming up, they have access to so many resources yeah. online, but unfortunately they may be missing out on those really important interpersonal connections that we remember that helped us develop into the the queer, fantastic people we are Mm -hmm. that did come out of a sense of community. Mm -hmm. And how do we as um, perhaps community, I see myself as a community elder sometimes um, getting up there in age, how how do I convey to our younger folks um, how important the history was and how important their history will be? Mm-hmm. And we can really decide how we're going to move forward. And as we face the challenges that we're facing right now, especially with our trans brothers and sisters, I have a daughter who's trans, and I just I, I just feel for the struggle um, that they have to contend with. So how can we as a community ensure that their history is preserved, that their culture is preserved, that they feel they have safe spaces. Mm -hmm. So we have this great history that we can share, but we have a lot of work um, that we need to do. And for me, just letting folks know as as broadly as I can through whatever avenues I can, you have this history. It's amazing. And you have resources. Mm-hmm. And I am here as a resource, and now you're out in the community, mm-hmm. folks on the front lines at the libraries who are interacting with um, young LGBTQIA plus individuals. We can really be a lifeline for them, and we can help them to map out their own history. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think that it's not an an easy answer, and I have several things kind of floating in my head right now. Um, I'm going to start with the one that is probably not going to send us into a tangent, but I I feel like community spaces, maybe it it looks like just a shift. You know, Anel, last time you were here, you talked about how your home is just always open for Mm -hmm. everyone to come and find refuge, you know? Um, and so maybe community spaces look like they're just coming back to the home Mm. for queer folks. Um, so I think about that pretty frequently, especially if you think about, you know, 
the strip is full of bars mm -hmm. and not everyone drinks, mm -hmm. you know, drinking is not safe for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about our community in that capacity as well, like what are, what do we have to offer them? You know, we, we don't have places like San Pedro park that is live with theater and, you know, just really family oriented spaces it, and if we do, it's not a whole bunch of that, right? It's more of the nightlife, which is a, an important component, but just not for everyone. So I think home is a really important space and creating homes that are welcoming, you know, like, especially for young queer people who come from homes that aren't safe, being able to be in a queer home and have folks come over is just a really a beautiful thing, you know, um, it's important for my wife and I to have queer folks in our home for our kids to see, oh, there are, there are other lesbian couples, there are other queer couples, you know, and this is, you know, I, we always joke that we don't have a whole bunch of straight friends. So they're probably going to grow up thinking like, you know, <laughs> this is the norm, which is beautiful. But, um, so that piece. And then I think the other piece is like, this is why censorship is so scary and, like, we have to s stop censorship, you know, because if anything, we need it on the opposite end. We need to hear more of the stories that you can share. And I wish there were a million of you. I think I told you that last time I saw you. I could listen to you talk for weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be kind of tired. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you would. But you're, you're just, both of you are full of just so much information that even me as a queer person in my mid to late 30s did not know before meeting you. You know, like I learned so much last time we talked about military queer history in this city. Um, so just providing better access to young people, I think is really important as well and figuring out as a community how we can do that. It's, it's going to be challenging to navigate um, the onslaught of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot about censorship and the book banning. And, you know, I, I think about what I do and talking to the media. And I'm very honest about what we have, what we collect, how this is important. Um, really working to promote our trans collections mm -hmm. to let folks know that we have these materials and they're incredibly important to our history and our community. I often wonder right now, is there going to be some backlash mm -hmm. against that? Mm -hmm. I, I feel very secure working at UTSA because it is such a diverse and open, welcoming, accepting environment. Um, but it does give you pause. Mm -hmm. What happens when an article comes out in the Express News where I'm talking about trans culture? I, it, I'm doing an exhibit at Cody, and I asked Michael if it was okay to display trans materials. Was there going to be some backlash from their patrons? Because fortunately, he said, no, no yeah. worries. So it's, no. all, it's <laughs> all out there, um, mm -hmm. full on. But you have to consider those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder, too, is how do we connect those exhibits with, like, the work that's happening at the moment, right? So 
you know, I think that's also so important is like bringing like, for example, um, Los Mentirosos, who are the drag king group. Um, they've been doing story time. They've been doing drag king story time with Jumpstart. You know, I, I went to one of their story times at the bottom. They had a story time there and then they had one at Jumpstart. It's so interesting, all these drag kings and there's so much fun. Like, how do we, yeah, like, I think for me, I see just making those connections, like saying we have this history exhibit, let's bring today's peeps, you know, that then everyone learns, right? The, his, the the new people learn what happened, you know, I, or somehow, how do we do that? Or like, for example, Son Queers, which is a, a Son Jarocho uh, group that does Son Jarocho music, but they're all queer musicians, which is really cool. There's so many things, I think, happening in the younger, these younger groups, and they're understanding they need to be together, but I don't know, maybe that they don't, they know that they have to be together, and they, we need them to just be bigger. We need to be larger, as large as they were when we did Electric Park. You know, mm -hmm, it needs to be Electric mm -hmm. Park every weekend, mm -hmm. today, every day, almost. You know, um, I, I, speaking of Electric Park, Almost Park was another one. I used to go to the Almost Park Sunday night gay. It was like lowriders and like cheerleaders. Oh, yes. Like we were all there, <laughs> like from the beginning to the end. All the queers were at Almost Park on Sunday night. Like Love the it. cars were bouncing, <clears throat> and then these ones over here were like just like playing like games with their, I don't know, it was just, everyone was different, but we were all friends barbecuing, you know, it's like so much history. How do we do that again? You know, and outside of the homes, bringing home, but taking it to the parks and, you know, just doing that work. Um, the artists, the writers, everything, there's so much. Well, it seems like you have a good handle on what needs to happen. So why don't we, to, we put you in charge of that? I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm doing Queer Voices on June 3rd. So that is happening. I, I do a couple events, like maybe two a year. I used to do 10 or 12 a year, but just slowing down to teens. I understand. <laughs> Handing it off to other folks yes. that are doing things. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I but, will yeah. say... Um, about a month ago, I attended um, a f pride fair, pride parade, pride fair at SAC at San Antonio College. Oh, yeah. I have to tell you, these folks have it going on. Yeah, they. I am so impressed with SAC and their pride programming. They have a pride room where students can go and come together. They have this. Uh, the GSA, Gender and Sexuality Alliance, is very well established, as it is at other community colleges. I'm so impressed with their program. I really want UTSA to do something similar. I, th mm -hmm. I feel like we, we just don't have, we don't offer that level mm -hmm. of having an inclusive program and a space for folks to come together, but definitely kudos and shout outs to them. Yep. They brought all sorts of uh, organizations mm -hmm. together. Michael was there. Yep. I was there. Mm -hmm. The Renegade Bears were there, which was so much fun. <laughs> um, just a lot of energy and excitement. And it was for the students. When the students came out of class, we just got flooded. And yeah, I everyone gave out every last zine I had. So yeah. it was a great opportunity to really make those connections. Um, and, and Robin, who coordinated all of that, just has, is doing an amazing, amazing job at bringing groups together, bringing people together in Hello, SAC, which is still yeah. this really important space. Yeah. So there are folks out there doing these things. It's 
how do we as the greater community tap into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, we yeah. have a lot of work to yeah. do. It's It's been uh, kind of a journey because when I first started here at Central, first started as a librarian, um, started doing, of course, queer programming. And so um, that first year, Morgan, our adult services coordinator, and I um, went to the Pride Center because I was like, okay, what community organizations are there? Because I'm from San Antonio, but I wasn't out growing up. So I was like, I don't know what's actually around here. So we found the Pride Center. Um, they have been uh, one of the greatest partnerships in queer programming, kind of keeping our fingers on the pulse of what's happening. And like Dakri was saying, um, when we asked, okay, so what what would the queer community like from the library? What What do you see as being a need? And they said social spaces that aren't bars. Um, and honestly, uh, one of my most successful programs is uh, every second Tuesday of the month, we have a tabletop gamer night um, at Cody. And that consistent programming has brought I have a regular group of five or six, and we usually have two or three new people every time. Um, and so one of the the great things is I like to feel like I'm building that community in another part of San Antonio. And I've also worked a lot with SAC. And so seeing the Pride Day and how big it is, um, one of uh, my previous library aides, Chelsea, she helped out at um, their Pride event last year in June. And she's like, there was a time when I never would have thought I'd see something like this at SAC. And you're right, SAC has nailed it. And that's an inspiration to me to continue like, I want I want a big community over at my library. Come on. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because going to Pride Fest with my dad in like the late 90s to going like before the pandemic, like two or three years ago, it has exploded. Like it was just insane how many people were there compared to like the beginning, like I said, early 90s, uh, maybe like 300 people. I don't know. Yeah. To yeah. now, mm-hmm. I was just blown away. I can't wait to go to this Pride Fest Festival oh, yeah. this year. So, um, yeah, I think all of this history is important because I feel like People right now, media-wise, are like, where did all these gay people come from? Yeah, right. <laughs> Like, we just all of a Seriously. sudden arrived, like, just arrived. It's like, no, we've been here. Mm-hmm. And um, especially what you're talking about, trans history, that's really big right now. And it's really big for us. I'm consistently um, getting sent articles about librarians being fired because of having trans books, mm-hmm. um, trans uh, programs, drag queen story time, you know, you've heard it. And it's ridiculous. And um, I'm happy we don't have that problem here, but I'm sad that it's a problem at all. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're talking about this history that's been going on for so long and people really think that this is something new and what are we doing? Mm-hmm. That's a problem. It is a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just want to cut in real quick because at a program I had yesterday, um, I had it was a resume crafting program, but at the end of it, um, the patron said some of the sweetest words I've ever heard from a patron is like, so how do we support you and make sure you keep doing what you're doing? I'm like, right, 
write to us, write to the board, write to the council, let them mm. know, hey, we love what you're doing. We we like this. We like that they're offering these kinds of programs and all that. Because that way, if something does happen and we are challenged, we can be like, no, no, people, people are making use of these services and this information that we offer. And we can show the impact removing that service has on the larger community. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. It reminds me of those write-a-thons we used to do for Amnesty International in the 90s. I used to do these write-a-thons to like, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if you've heard of those, but yeah, those are like, it was like an activist where you would write letters to like free people who are in prison for, you know, and just all these things. It's so cool. We should do that, a write-a-thon for the library, for LGBT, for all the queer things. Oh, I had a thought about what you said and it just escaped me. Ah, and to what you and Michael were talking about is, like, how do we re reach the general populace and let them know we have been here? Mm -hmm. Fortunately, hopefully by the end of June, I'm part of a, a grant-funded project that's uh, from Bear County called The Seed of Texas. And we are now in part three of this project that's been going on for years. And it's different historians and scholars writing about different facets of San Antonio and Bear County history. I was invited to write about the city's queer history and the county's queer history. And they are in the form of interactive modules and story maps. It will be going live uh, hopefully at the end of next month. And so these things that I've been talking about on this podcast about Electric Park and, and um, you know, female impersonators and off-limits and all these chapters, it's from 1880s through World War II, uh, this, this chapter that we're working on, these are going to go live uh, to the public. So hopefully we'll get um, some positive responses back and people will have those Oh, moments. Like one of our most famous architects, Atlee Ayers, was like to cross-dress. And people might find that interesting. So that's out there on the horizon. Yeah, that's amazing. I can't wait to see that. That's super. I want to, I want, yeah, we're going to have to talk. But I think about like live history too. I, I saw my friend Lisa Ortega recently, who was my first lesbian friend ever. I was 19 and sh I was at queer, at Gay Fiesta, which is what they called it. It used to be at La Vita. This was the 90s. And I was a I was a pure minister. So I like would a Eucharistic minister, like in the Catholic church. So I would like give the communion. It's, this is, it'll all make sense in a second. So I went to gay fiesta on a Sunday. I had X's on my hands. There was this amazing drag show with Erica Andrews and mm -hmm. Tandy Andrews and all these baddies that were there. And then there was this little dancer person who was this little queer person. And then afterwards I was like, Oh, I want to be friends with her. And this was Lisa Ortega, the person, this friend that I still am friends with. I recently saw her and we were reminiscing about that following that year, that gay fiesta. Afterwards, I went and went to 8 p.m. mass at Incarnate Word because at Incarnate Word, at that time, I had started an LGBT organization and the priest approved it. Like the priest was like, absolutely, we're about this. We'll take care of it. Lou Agnese denied it. That's part of history. And it was in the paper and everything. And I gave the Eucharist with my exes on my hands that night at the Catholic Church. 
that following Sunday, I mean, we had Solidarity Sunday. There was all this gay stuff happening at a Catholic university that at that moment. And so Lisa and I were reminiscing, and then we were like, oh, remember when we went to, to the Pride Parade? And I think the bears were going by. It was at San Pedro Park, and the bears were going by in the pickup truck, and they were wearing, like, um, um, chaps, you know, with open backs. You know how that happens with the booty coming out. And Lisa and I are, like, waving. And then she's like, let's jump in. So we jumped in. We're, I'm all of, like, 20 years old, right? I jump in with the bears, Lisa and I. And, uh, you know, now she's 50, and I'm almost 50. And that night it was on the news. And so long story short, her aunt, her tia, who she now is now very up in age and not doing well, we went to visit her just like two weeks ago. True story. And her tia is like, oh, remember when I saw you all on the news and the, and the, the gay parade and blah, 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 blah. nobody knew you were gay yet? And we're like cracking up, you know? And so the power, right, of just like telling the story, getting it out there in the media, but like also just the way our lives are. And it's beautiful. All that history in that one little moment, that one friend. But yeah, putting that out there with this new information that people are going to learn about. I mean, I'm excited. I'm ready to just push it all over the place. So that sounds beautiful. But well, I will keep you all updated when we go live. Oh, yeah, for sure. Melissa, is yes. there any other nugget that you would like to leave with us? <laughs> I know there are so many, but... There are so many. Um, when you were talking about the Pride Parade and how big it's become, I, I become nostalgic sometimes. And think back to the 90s, which is when I came out. And I think back to how small the parade was on Main Street. And Luther's was in its original location. And you could just easily get in there, get a seat, and just hang out. I remember one night in particular sitting there. And it was it was kind of overcast. And there was a nice breeze, which is awesome at that time of year. And I remember looking at the stoplights. They're swinging in the wind. And the the signs, the street signs, are just floating in the wind. And I look down the street that's anticipating this event coming and thinking, this is really perfect. This is our space. This is where we belong. And I felt a really profound sense of belonging. And I liked in that moment that that space was was small and it wasn't overwhelming but it was you really felt connected to those other hun few hundred people in the crowd and now when i walk that stretch of street where our parade was only a few bl blocks long in the 90s <clears throat> And I, I took students on a walking tour, and we were going down Main Street, and we we went over by uh, Pegasus, and I said, just let's pause here for a moment and look on this side of the street. It looks pretty much like it did back in the 90s. You look down the heat, and Pegasus, it really has not changed. Mm -hmm. you know, sure, some of the, the bars have different names, but it looks like it did. And then you look across the street. And Luther's is in this new location. It's not that great little shack of a place that it was. And you have the lofts and you have SAC expanding. And the point I was making for them is that there's 
this disruption of the historical narrative juxtaposed with the intact historical narrative. And just thinking about that change, how things can stay the same, but then change right next to it. So really capture, I tend to capture those moments Mm -hmm. um, and interpret the change, put it within a historical context. And when we're out walking the streets, I, I urge the students to think about it a little bit differently. We walked over to San Pedro Park, and I said, you're, you're in your urban-built environment, but next time you walk this little stretch by the park in SAC, think about the history that happened here. This may just look like concrete. Drive past it. You're not necessarily thinking about who was there decades ago. But going forward, when you drive past San Pedro Park or you walk past it, think about all the rich queer history that happened in this space. I guarantee you that you won't look at that space the same. But when you're walking that pavement, you'll start to think, well, there were a lot of hippies hanging out over here. You know, they were hanging out in these hip coffee shops and cafes. And, you know, I'm a continuation of that, but just in a, a different evolution of our community. I think it's it's really a gift to be able to take that history and embrace it and continue to live it every day. I don't even know how to follow that up. <laughs> I've left everyone <laughs> speechless. So it's okay. Really over here. <laughs> yes, it's so true. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, when you say so you have that very distinct memory and a very strong feeling attached to that memory of sitting there and feeling like this is perfect, mm-hmm. when you are walking down the street with your students and you're turning around and you're seeing the change. Do you feel sad? I do. I do. Mm-hmm. And we, I think it's human mm-hmm. nature to want to hang on to those perfect, mm-hmm. brilliant moments <laughs> of insight where you're just like, oh, especially in this day and age where you, you can have an epiphany and a, a moment of peace in a space. I do feel sad. Mm-hmm. But... I value that memory, and I realize that I will have other other experiences in different spaces, but it's such a gift for me to be able to pass that on to students and just you know g- give them a sense of you can you can really have that sense of belonging, so yeah, it's sad, but then it can be really happy, especially when the students respond. And they, you know, they, they're really engaged in, in that history. And I think you know, that in this particular instance, when I was work, walking with the SAC students, the walking tour was such a different way for me to present history. And I'm so glad we did it. Mm-hmm. I've talked to numerous people about the tour, and I think there will be more on the horizon in different parts of San Antonio. 
What a brilliant way to convey history. Mm -hmm. Get out there from behind a computer screen, a PowerPoint, walk your history. It's going to have a much greater impact, especially when you really bring the students into the fold and they're experiencing it. Can I ask one question? Mm -hmm. How do you, you've mentioned your daughter, and I don't know if you want to talk about your daughter, but to connect, you know, we're talking about how do we now share this information? And, you know, I have two daughters, I have lots of queer children, right? And mm -hmm. so how do you talk, how do you, how do you and your daughter talk about, do you all talk about this? How do your worlds connect in that way? Well, unfortunately, we don't talk a lot. Uh, she's in a different state. Mm. And just really busy working. Oh, yeah. Um, but the moments when we do talk about it, um, it's just, you know, how can we tackle these issues together? How can I be supportive? Mm -hmm. um, in this instance, it's still a new process for me. Um, as a mom, mm -hmm of a son for 30 years, so I'm still adapting. And I think that's a really important learning curve for me. Um, for someone who works with the trans community, have a lot of trans students at UTSA, um, it's a learning experience as a parent. Uh, it's just continually evolving. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really fortunate in that I, I have a grandson who's five and he gets to see Granny on TV when I'm talking about this stuff, and he knows what <laughs> Granny is doing, and um, he's he's learning this. Mm -hmm. I have twin granddaughters coming in a couple of weeks, so they'll be learning it too. Beautiful. I think passing this on to our families, mm -hmm. and our families are so lucky to be part of an extended family. That is the family we choose. Um. You know, we're just really fortunate to be a part of that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for talking about that mm -hmm. and, and sharing that information. That's a lot of us are in the same situation that you are in, learning new things mm -hmm. and, and learning from our young folks, teaching and charging us to really challenge where we are. And that's so important. So thank you for saying it and sharing. Absolutely. And saying you're learning, right? It's a beautiful thing Absolutely. to be vulnerable there. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so... I want to again thank both of you for being on the podcast with us today. I honestly kept losing track. I had to remember, oh, I'm not an audience member. I'm actually <laughs> a part of this podcast um, because uh, one, just love all things queer and queer history is amazing because we don't get it really. Um, you have to either seek it out yourself or find people who have sought it out and and uh, kind of forge your own connection with that chain that goes into the past um, and really the work you all do um, writing and researching and writing even more so that we have this information um, really helps keep us connected. So thank you so much for that. Um, and again, hope, hope to see you again. And I'm really looking forward to the uh, display, Melissa. So. Yay. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, when is that event? Um, so the display will be going up uh, in the Cody display case on June 1st, mm -hmm. um, and it will be uh, up all month. Um, and that is in addition to all the like book displays and all that. Beautiful. Yeah. Looking forward to it.
Thanks for joining us today. I hope you laughed, I hope we gave you some things to think about, and I hope you keep asking questions. Until next time, queers! Queers!